Hello, hello. Welcome back to On Connection, where we talk about current topics relating to organizational life and leadership through the lens of human connection and conversation. Of the many things we at Conversant tend to hear from clients, one of the more common ones is an interest in improving decision-making. Whether clients come to us with an awareness that they need to improve in this area or not, we've found most leaders and organizations could benefit from taking a look at their approach. How we arrive at decisions has a ripple effect, impacting, of course, organizational success, including the quality of execution and engagement around that particular decision, but also culture, trust, employee retention, and much, much more. If you search for decision-making process or framework on Google, you'll get countless methodologies and models to pick from. There are five-step, seven-step, eight-step processes and acronyms galore, and while there are a handful of popular ones that organizations tend to gravitate towards, there isn't consensus on what the best approach is. Decision-making can range from being a simple task to a deeply complex one, and it's generally in the realm of complexity that we seek the best practice or tool that can help us arrive at the best and most effective decision. However, No tool is going to do the hard thing for you. While we've seen and worked with many frameworks with our clients, as my very smart colleague Patrick says in this episode, the right tool is the one that makes you have the conversations you need to have. Conversations are the work of decision-making in leadership and organizational life, and depending on the context and what you need to see happen as a result of the decision, The best methods will have you confront whose opinion needs to be consulted, who ultimately makes a final decision, and what there is to say no to or let go of in order to commit to the decision you arrive at. These are likely not easy conversations, but they set up much more valuable execution, collective action, and learning than if you hadn't had them. For this episode, I was joined by Robin Anselmi and Patrick Kennedy to talk about what we've learned from being part of and supporting the work of decision-making both within our own business and with our clients. Well, hello, hello. Welcome back to On Connection. Uh, Patrick, welcome back to the pod. How are you doing? Doing wonderful. How are you doing, Rose? I'm grand, especially since I get to be here with you and Robin today. Um, If you have listened to the podcast before, Patrick has been on a past episode and has contributed to our thinking behind some others. And so I'm happy to have you back for our sec. Well, we're a little bit into the year now, but um, happy to have you here. Um, Robin, how are you doing today? I'm great. Thank you. And it's nice. Patrick, I don't think you and I have been here in this space together. I don't think so. Yeah, so this is great. This is a lovely configuration of us, as our uh, dear friend Roger Henderson likes to say. A lovely configuration. Um, Well, today we wanted to talk about decision-making, which is quite a hot topic in pretty much any client system we're ever in. I feel like it always comes up. And uh, I don't know if this is just maybe my own like observation bias in the last year or two, but I feel like it's been coming up a lot and we get a lot of people asking for help in that domain saying, we suck at decision-making, we need to be better at decision-making. We tried this framework, but it clearly hasn't helped us very much. So we need a different one. What's your methodology and approach to decision-making? 
why do you guys think it's such a challenging area for people? Well, I'll start and then Patrick, I'd love to hear what you have to say. I think there's a couple of things that really contribute to decision-making being challenging in organizational life. One is it is the moment where you start to commit to something. So it actually is going to test your level of commitment on whatever you've been discussing. And that can be a real challenge if you haven't had the appropriate conversations to actually get you to that level of commitment. I think the other, which we were talking about as we were getting ready today, is the level of complexity that organizations face. Decisions are not nearly as simple as we'd love them to be. And I think people would love to have decisions be really simple, but the number of choices available, the number of potential outcomes, the number of potential risks involved with almost any decision that's being made inside an organization just amplifies the uh, necessity for in-depth conversations and the whole reason we exist is because people are not great at those conversations in a lot of organizations and particularly not about learning from one another in them and being able to analyze all the different opinions that are coming in. Patrick, what do you think? You've been in a number of uh, systems lately. What do you think makes decision-making so challenging? Well, I think one thing that you touched on a little bit too is um, people may not be looking for Anything beyond what's a, as Emeros, you put it a little bit earlier as we were getting ready, uh, looking beyond an easy button. How can I just make this, this decision? Give me the Rockefeller habits. Give me some tool that I can just apply to any situation that I'm presented with. And inevitably, when that doesn't work, I'll move on to the next one without taking a deeper look at what is it to make a decision and under what circumstances might that change and who needs to be involved in those sorts of decisions? And the, the story I have for why folks might be avoiding those sorts of conversations is people like making decisions in a rush. And so asking those questions necessarily requires a little bit more time to sit and think with it rather than what feels good in the moment is to just call it and move forward, even though it might cause quite a bit of friction or um, other things that end up creating more time suck uh, in the future. Well, Patrick, you said one other thing, and then Emeros, I want to see what you have to say, because you've been in a number of systems with me, and you've said in a number of systems lately where this has been up. One other thing, Patrick, that comes up as I listen to you talk that I think we have to also add in here is decision-making is power in an organization. Mm -hmm. And we know that any time power gets introduced, there are challenges in how those conversations are held and how we talk about who is making the decision. And so those can get really messy. I was in a conversation with a leader just last week and we were sort of pulling a decision apart. And I said, there were two people involved and only one of them was getting to make the actual decision. And I said, does the other one know that? And the leader said, mm, yeah, I don't think so. <laughs> like, I don't think I've actually been clear with these two people who's making that because that's a hard, it's an uncomfortable conversation to have to have given that decision-making is power. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's true. Um, well, a couple things. One, I mean, Robin, you just surfaced the three C's of why decision-making is challenging. One, commitment. Two, complexity. Three, conversation. I love it. Let's go write a book. Uh, look out for the Blinkist next year. Um, <laughs> uh, so I agree with everything you guys have said. The other thing that... Um, I'm wondering about that I don't think is as explicit in some of the ways we talk about decisions generally in the world is that we all individually bring our sort of personal style of evaluation to things. Um, We have an assessment that we deliver in a lot of clients that's called decision styles. And so it's really clarifying me as an individual, how do I tend to look at and perceive and evaluate things? And that is largely an unconscious process. Um, But that those systems of evaluation might not be what you think they are if you're looking at somebody else's. So your rationale might not match somebody else's. And I think it can contribute to people being more decisive or indecisive in different situations. And I think it's actually related to the power thing that you were just saying, Robin. So like for me, I am really high in relationship in my decision style assessment. So that means that I evaluate things subconsciously, largely through the lens of how is it going to impact relationships or other people around me. And I think it makes me quite indecisive because it makes me want to be more inclusive of well, what do you think? And how is this going to, So, you know, I'm the girl who I want to buy an electric blanket because it's winter in Colorado. It, we haven't seen the sun in what feels like forever. And I have to look at all 40 electric blanket options on Amazon and all of the reviews. And then also go look at the articles about the best electric blanket options for 2023 on Google before I make a decision. So, but anyway, I'm doing that with other people's perspectives, right? So I'm doing that with everybody's view in the in like our system, but that's not always very valuable. Like how quickly can we move to a decision? But somebody else might be thinking about well, is that workable? So Robin, you're high in workability, aren't you? Yeah. That's so right. like realistically, is that going to work? I don't know. Um, but anyway, I just think that we are we have those dynamics going on that can contribute to our being indecisive individually or wanting to approach it differently than somebody else. And then we also might not just be even perceiving how another person is perceiving the situation. So it makes those conversations really challenging well, I, might have, told this, I oh. might have told this story here before. I'll tell it again just because it's timely. Um, when my husband, you all know Bill, and I were had first started living together, the, um, the kids were young. They were um, teenagers. And so we would run errands on the weekends trying to like squeeze it in. And we would have these arguments all the time. I, this is going to sound ridiculous, I know, but it fits exactly what Emma was talking about. We would have these arguments about whoever was driving and which path would we go to run our errands. I am high workability. So my way of running errands is what's the most efficient. We're going to leave the house and go in the direction where we make all right-hand turns to not to avoid all of the Saturday traffic. And Bill and I would get in these arguments because he would want to drive and he would drive all over town. And I would be like, finally, we had this conversation. I was like, why are we going this way? 
And he's like, well, because if we go this way, we can wind up at our favorite restaurant and have wine at lunchtime. I was like, okay, yes, we're going your way from now on. I don't care. But he's <laughs> he's high on creativity. And so for him, this was more, how do we make this into an adventure? How do we make this more fun? But to your point, each of us had an underlying assumption about what was the right way to just make this decision. My right way, I was steering off of efficiency. He was steering off of enjoyment. And those two things led us on very different paths, making different decisions. And you can see on an expanded view how in organizational life, people in compliance are going to steer off of one set of things that they think are most important. People in production might steer off a different set of things that they think are most important. So I'm Rose, I, I love this as an example. Uh, thank you. Patrick, mm -hmm. I cut you off, please. No, well, um, we're thinking along the same lines because what uh, MROs, when he brought up decision styles, it, it had me uh, think, well, right, a lot of a lot of the tension that we might have in situations where a decision needs to get made, um, Robin, in your example, or in organizations, uh, in different like known uh, divisions of sales or uh, facilities management or compliance or whatever that might be. Merely having a level of awareness that people care about different things mm -hmm. can enrich the conversation immensely. Otherwise, it can devolve into this uh, uh, unspoken purpose of what are we trying to solve for? What what it what is this decision in service of? It's a war of preferences, or it's um, methods in service of different goals: efficiency versus enjoyment. So having having an open discussion both about what criteria are we servicing here, and what are the different ways that we might approach this? How do we open a conversation up enough to where people are free to share from a compliance perspective, these are the things that we care about? To get that into the room, uh, I, I feel is a, a step folks might not know to take, might go right to, well, we got to make the decision and we're going to make out of these three options, we're going to choose option C. Great. Well, and in those cases, what you see over and over again is loudest voice, person with the most influence, person with the most power, squeakiest wheel, right? Like any, not, is, and the people are actually debating my idea versus your idea, which tends to turn into an opinion fest. Here's my opinion about that idea. Here's my opinion. You know, even my really simple, funny example of running errands. We had had that argument, just so you know, for like a number of probably months before I said, wait, 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 like, why do you want to go this way? And actually like landed on, like hadn't dawned on me, like, oh, every time we run errands, when we go Bill's way, we have, we stop and have lunch. Like that had not like land, I didn't, hadn't connected the dots on that. And I think that that's what happens is that, Leaders often think that the their rationale is obvious to people on their decision. Mm -hmm. And what we know in organizations is over and over again, it is not. Like the rationale for the decision is not obvious, even when people have experienced whatever the outcome is, right? So even though I had experienced more enjoyment 
I still was focused on timeliness uh, in that in that process. And I think because my attention was on timeliness, I kept assessing his decision and his route based on timeliness. And it lost uh, every time because I wasn't paying attention to enjoyment because we mm. hadn't had that as an express conversation. And the same is true, Patrick, to your point in organizational life. People keep make decisions if they're not actually highlighting, here's what I'm steering off of. People will still debate that they made the wrong decision because I'm not getting what I wanted because it doesn't seem like it was taken into account. Right. Well, I think what we're getting at here is that there is so much to study or you know explore be interested in in terms of the science of decision making i mean it's especially in an organizational context you have individual psychology psychology going on you have social dynamics like you're talking about power um influence i mean how many of us have walked into a room and known we had our mind made up about all the things we wanted to bring up in that conversation and then that person totally convinced us of something else. And then you walk out and you're like, what happened to me <laughs> in that room? So you weren't actually even contributing of your uh, perspective. And so there's a science to that. Um, but we also know that there is a design to um, approaching how to make a decision and how to make it effective and how to see it through. Um, and so many people look at decision-making as a single point in time, but that we actually believe there is a series of conversations that happen prior to a decision being made and a series of conversations and things that need to happen after the decision is made. And without seeing it through that full picture, you actually can't evaluate whether this decision was good or bad. Um, it's not quite that binary that was, there was a lot that contributed to whether or not it was effective, including did you expressly say what were going to be your measures of the decision being effective? Because probably not, because most people don't do that. So anyway, what would you guys have to say about the design that we think people should think of? Patrick, will you say a little bit about purpose and outcomes? Because we were having that conversation earlier, and I think you had some really great points about it. Yeah. Well, one thing I'm, I'm stuck with is... Uh, uh, an anecdote I might have shared before about a friend of mine with really bad teeth, and <laughs> what what uh, what he did is he started looking at all the different types of food and drinks that might impact his enamel, and started messing with those. And then, okay, the toothpaste. What toothpaste has certain chemicals in it that might impact my my teeth? And finally, narrowed down to okay, it's between these two. Uh, toothpaste he goes to the dentist says okay which one should i pick i've narrowed it down to these two brands these two types of toothpaste and the dentist said choose whichever one gets you to brush your teeth and <laughs> the reason that that story stuck in my head is i'm thinking about the the methods that we're discussing and this focus on uh okay do we want to use rapid racy whatever decision making tool might be out there I feel like our perspective is sure, whichever one gets you to have a conversation. Exactly. <laughs> really good. Whichever tool might might enable that conversation to have, because Demaros, to your point, this isn't something that is one and done. You made the decision, it's over with, great. And you measure at that point in time. The decision has what flows into it, a purpose that's being served. 
Otherwise, why even be making a decision? There's a certain outcome that you're looking for. The outcome of this decision and the action that we take, we hypothesize will result in this, and we're open to experimenting and learning along the way. So without those end caps of really affirming what the purpose is, and really affirming what that outcome is, it can be really easy to get lost in a tangled web of different methods that might end up serving different purposes. And also, as those conversations happen, purposes evolve. Somebody might say, uh, okay, we're, we're serving this particular purpose in the organization. We're really clear on that. We're aligned. And after uh, weeks or maybe months of discussing particular topics and circumstances change, all of a sudden the purpose is slightly different. But if it's not voiced, if it's not in the room, then how do, how do people stay aligned to that mm-hmm. underlying purpose? Mm-hmm. I use the, the example all the time with clients that, um, you know, if you're going to San Francisco and everybody knows you're going to San Francisco, it doesn't really matter how you're going to get there. You'll figure it out. Like that's a conversation you guys could have and you'll figure out how you're going to get to San Francisco. But if one person thinks they're going to San Diego, then that's going to end up being an issue. <laughs> so you probably want to figure that out pretty early on because they might have a different opinion about how they're going to get there that is tied to their version of what's going to happen. They're, they're going to end up at the beach. <laughs> Sorry, Ron, well, what were you saying? Well, no, I just really, even inside of that, so you need to implement a new system as an example. We'll, one of the reasons we asked Patrick to join us for this conversation, by the way, is he led uh, system implementation for us at Conversant. We used decision criteria, and I thought he did a really masterful job of collecting community input, creating that criteria, coming back to that criteria routinely as a truing up mechanism. Um, and I think inside of organizations, the thing that we forget is, well, why? So like, yes, we were implementing a system, but what was our why behind that? Because that actually drives so many of the decisions. Because a system that was for efficiency only, right, Patrick, you said if it had been that, we might have just gone with an Excel spreadsheet and said, done, like, just do this, right? And we said, no, like, for us, it was really about connection of data and data and data transparency, right? We're a couple of things that we were really trying to build uh, some foundation where we had the data at at, at our fingertips for, for people to run this business, for us to run our business. And like, that's different than fast data, right? We got, we're getting fast data, but that wasn't actually the problem we were out to solve or the why that we had for this. You might have a more eloquent eloquent way on the tip of your tongue to say about what was our why behind it. But I think that that's your point. And Emma is yours as well, because speed would be want speed of data might, might be an important distinction for somebody. When I worked in financial services, getting data turned around really quickly was super important because of the speed at which decisions were being made in this very large financial services firm. That was not ours. That was just not the thing that was on our mind. Um, and so I think getting really clear about why are you making a change? Why are you making it? This decision is a, an important first step. And also to keep coming back to it, because to Patrick's point, it's really easy then to start to get into all of the ways to solve that and lose sight of the, wait, why are we doing this again? 
Right. Well, you and know. even that, that it being clear on the why up front or what the Im, the important outcome is can help you evaluate which method by which you're going to make the decision. Because, you know, it, if there's some crisis situation that you're in and speed of decision making is one of the factors that's really important, then because I think somewhere that people get really caught up is inclusion. Like what, to what level do you include others in your decision-making process? So, you know, I've heard us talk about it, that there's the pre-decision-making phase is all about inclusion and learning. Now, the scale at which you're going to do that, it might depend based on what the purpose and outcome is that you're looking to fulfill. So if you need it fast, Inclusion is not necessarily going to service you making a super fast decision. So you might scale back the level of inclusion in order to most effectively fulfill whatever the purpose and outcome was. But in other situations, like you're saying with the system implementation, quality mattered a lot more. Quality of whatever we implemented and its effectiveness mattered a lot more to us than the speed of implementation, right? Like we had a little bit, okay, well, let's not do this in 2026, let's figure it out pretty soon. But it wasn't urgent or a crisis moment. So we prioritized other things over that. And similarly, the it it's not as if speed to access data is not important at all. It it required a level of prioritization given that that as Robin and Emeros, you all know, everything was important when we opened the box of why do this system implementation? Everything was important, but we can't do everything. So within that, how do we have the necessary conversations to get to a point where we we can respect the select few things that we're going to start out with, knowing that we can build a foundation in this case that can expand into those other things as time goes on. The it, as as you two were talking, what what also occurred to me is when when that level of detachment from the purpose becomes larger, one of the uh, unspoken criteria about whether or not a decision's a good one uh, can be, is it easy to make? Mm. And if it feels difficult, the conversations are kind of a drag, we don't feel like we're getting anywhere, that itself can serve as an unwitting cue that, oh, well, we're not making a, a good decision here. And so many times people have a conversation or two conversations, they're difficult. So it's all scrapped in advance of making a very simple decision or authoritative decision, rather than saying the difficulty sometimes is, is tangential. There is a there's not necessarily a kumbaya moment about making this particular decision, but mm-hmm. aligning on that purpose can create the solid ground by which those conversations can keep moving forward. Well, I think well, something I think- else you're pointing out, Patrick, that came up to me is, you know, at the heart of a lot of, I think, the flaws in people's decision making is that leaders aren't making their implicit thinking explicit, Robin, which you say a lot. But in that, was that an explicit choice that, oh, we're going to actually, because this is a hard decision to make, we'd actually rather have an easy decision to make. So we're going to go this route. Was that something that you 
shared externally? Was it something that you were even conscious of as the leader who declared that that's how you were going to move forward? Or is it something that's totally implicit? Because that is what drives a lot of, I think, confusion and then a lack of ownership on the people on the part of those that you need to take action in service of that decision moving forward. And that's where things just fall apart. And I think then people look back and go, oh, well, we made the wrong decision. It's like, well, it was somewhere in the conversational elements there that you missed something. But I don't know if it was the decision itself that was the flaw. Sorry, Robin, I cut you off. No, it's okay. I One of the things I think that you're both saying, right, is... I do say make your implicit thinking explicit and the easy decision often we're not having the conversation that we need to have. So instead of actually saying like, why has this gotten so challenging for us? Often it's that you have a set of criteria and I have a set of criteria and we haven't discussed that. We're not looking at the decision against the criteria. So then we just cave to one another and go to Okay, well, we'll make an easy decision. So now we have actually supplanted what was an initially whatever my criteria was and your criteria with the only criteria of what can we both just agree on and move forward, which is still a criteria, by the way, mm-hmm. but we haven't said that out loud. And if we actually said that out loud to one another, would we actually say, yes, that's what we want to do? <laughs> like it, or if we said, okay, so what we're saying is the main criteria is what's the easiest thing we could do? And in some cases, maybe we would. I have a leader right now who maybe she will say that she just needs to do whatever the easiest thing is on this one decision. Great. Let's just say those words out loud so that the organization can track and understand how you got to that as opposed to any other myriad of decisions you might have made in this particular situation. The one other thing I wanted to say is back to the inclusion part. You know what I hear actually most of the time when people are talking about inclusion, they don't actually necessarily mean they personally need to weigh in on the decision. They want to know that they were considered, that their point of view, that their circumstances, that the way they work was actually taken into account if they're impacted by the decision. Mm -hmm. So leaders often, I think, get hamstrung thinking, well, I can't have an inclusive decision-making process. I don't have the time. They're not necessarily, people are not necessarily saying like, yes, bring all thousand of us into a room and ask all of us what we think about this decision. They just want to know, are the people who are going to be impacted, were our purposes, concerns, and circumstances taken into account? Can you tell us how they were taken into account and how they show up in this decision? And oh, by the way, if they were not, if, if you're making a decision that runs counter to that, even if you just acknowledge that you're doing that and can explain to me why you're, you've made the decision that you have, that you have, you're going to get way bigger buy-in. We had a leader a couple of weeks ago, right before the holidays, healthcare system, had to make a really hard decision about uh, hours over the holidays and like what they were going to be, wor- what, what they were going to be working and what they were asking staff to do. And they were nervous about having to have this conversation with the staff because they had decided basically like you're not getting the time off that you want to have. And we coached her to go to say, like, here's the criteria, because they had all this criteria. And she came back, she goes, damn it, that didn't work. Like, they were not happy about the decision, but they said, I totally understand why you made the decision that you did. I can, I can carry this out. So like all those people weren't in the decision, 
But they said, like, we know we're making one that's going to be hard, but here's all the reasons why. That's what people, I think, want is some acknowledgement. Mm. Sorry, Patrick, now you go. I'm sorry, I cut you off. <laughs> no, that's okay. It, it, again, goes along with, uh, as you were talking, what had occurred to me is in making the implicit explicit, it it affords the opportunity for others to contribute. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, it stuff's just kind of floating in the ether. Who knows if this is relevant, not relevant, significant, not significant, uh, appropriate to this particular circumstance or, or not. But making it explicit kind of sets a, a playing field. Oh, here's here's the container that the decision's going to be made in. Okay, I can see how I can contribute or I can approach it in a particular way. Related to that too is that the idea that if something is implicit, it doesn't mean that I'm holding it. I know that it's there. I'm just not speaking it as if I'm being nefarious or manipulative or withholding. I might not be aware that I have certain criteria that I'm operating towards. It just might not be there. So that the conversations themselves are an ability to play around with what are we making this decision about? And given that we can test it against others, it can then clarify our thinking. We might think that we're very clear on, oh, I'm taking this route, for instance, for efficiency, except when I talk about it, it's not really about efficiency. It's also about, I love this scenic drive that has a bunch of tall trees along the way, or looking at the houses I'm driving by. Oh, right. I didn't even notice that that was also part of my decision-making criteria. So that implicit nature, looking at somebody that might be making a decision or collection of people, or if I'm included in it, I feel like there's an element of um, curiosity and um, graciousness built into the process that it's it's like peeling back layers of an onion to understand what what are we really doing this for and what are the criteria that we're trying to satisfy because chances are that first go around they might not be 100% clear yeah <laughs> they almost never are right we haven't said it yet today so i'm going to say it the conversations are the work of decision making because often left to my own devices it's really hard i've tried to do it by the way to write down what the criteria are i have for a decision it's actually in the conversations with other people that they start to emerge what's important to you what's important to you about that what's important to you about that how what how are you going to use this what is that going to look like what is it all of the questions that you get into are actually how criteria come up. Uh, Emma Rose, you and I were in a conversation yesterday where we were talking about a lot of different alternatives. And at one Mm -hmm. point we started to land on a couple. We were like, well, these and these and these. And I said, you'll remember, I'm hearing these four criteria. If that's what we think the criteria are, I don't think I need to be involved in the next conversation. That's the criteria. Please apply that and sort through the ideas that we just had and come back with what you recommend. Right? And so... It wasn't, we were not actually saying at the start, what are the criteria? I could just hear in the discussion of where people were having affinity for certain ideas, like, Mm. oh, that must be what we're steering off of. And in that one, actually, there was an an ease of implementation was sort of one of the criteria. Budget was one of the criteria. Client experience was one, like, was one of the criteria. And so 
sometimes you have to just, you have to be listening for the subtext in the conversation, which is, I think, a challenge for a lot of people to be able to hear what has someone lean in a direction, because that's telling you what about that particular alternative is attractive. And the reason that's important is if you and I disagree on what we think the particular decision is, but I can understand what's important to you, maybe there's another alternative that we haven't identified yet. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, I think that there, well, it's such an, a practice of timing and presence. Um, because, you know, they also, there, it's also known that you don't want to limit, if you're really trying to generate a lot of creative alternatives for how to approach a challenge, how to solve a problem, how to best move forward with some strategic initiative that's going to be most effective or whatever. Um, you don't want to, like limit people's creativity in generating what those ideas are. So there might be an opportunity for, okay, let people open up and just throw all their ideas out there. And by the way, this is a great place for people to feel included. Um, just, and let it be unhinged for a contained amount of time, <laughs> however long that is. And just setting the ground rules that we're not making a decision in this conversation. We're just getting ideas. And then, like you're saying, you could listen for, oh, what are the like things that came up? Or maybe even in that conversation, well, what was important? Why did you say that? Well, what is it that made you want to do that thing or made you attracted to this idea and help each other think through it? Because the nature of ideas too, sometimes they might come to us in the conversation. It's not like for the week prior, we were writing down, brainstorming all these things and researching whether or not they were effective and reasonable or not. And we, it just pops up and then somebody could ask. So that's interesting. You were attracted to that. Why? Huh? I actually don't know. Let me think through why that sounded interesting to me. And then you can surface and clarify the criteria that are true to all of you, whoever the decision-making party is or the representative group. Um, after that. So then what are the criteria that we agree are really important and that we want to make sure are the principles by which we're evaluating whatever we're going to land on? And then the magic of criteria, which we haven't said yet, so I just want to get in the conversation, is that then when you are in the decision-making conversation, you're arguing against the criteria, not against one another. So you're not having a war of egos or a war of power or a war of opinion. It's just well, we said that we all agreed that this was really important to us and this is how this is going to impact that. We said that was really important and I'm actually not seeing that represented in that decision. Could we talk about that? Again, it's not like voting somebody down. <laughs> it's just having more of a conversation because even that act generates more alignment amongst that deciding group that then is responsible for going and communicating with everybody else around, this is the decision. This is why we decided it. So then they can all be responsible for owning whatever the decision was too, which is going to help in terms of engaging the larger population that you need to be on board with it. Well, it'll also help to resolve differences during the implementation or execution of that decision because inevitably, Patrick, we actually saw this live and in real life uh, with our system implementation. You run into a bump in the road in the execution of a decision. Well, if you have criteria, people actually can have more clarity to have to take independent action to resolve whatever that challenge is because they know what's important to you. 
So Patrick knew, we knew that time was important, but not the top criticality. And so to get it right, we delayed the implementation by about a month or six weeks. And that was actually a pretty easy, like that decision just got made because we knew like there was not a whole lot of debate that had to be done. I think you just came and said, here's what I recommend that we do. Right. And that was when we hit up when we hit that bump. And it was clear. Now, if he I'm imagining, Patrick, if we had said timing is really critical, we're trying to hit this date, we would have then it would have been clearer that a different decision what was what was necessary. But criteria also help with the entirety of people owning and executing against the original intentions of that decision, as opposed to having to keep coming back to someone and saying, like, well, now what do we do? Now what do we do? Now what do we do? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a stake in the ground. And it's not to say that yeah, given that I founded the stake in the ground, it is there forever. It will never change. Uh, it's uh, a a method by which we can align on something that's outside of ourselves. Patrick, I'm more, I'm curious about given your experience, right? So you put a group of us together to gather criteria. You synthesize the uh, sort of discussion to get to the criteria. You vetted the criteria with myself and uh, John, our head of operations. You ran the project according to that criteria. Like, what would you, what advice or counsel, what did you learn yourself from that experience that you think is smart for other people to know about how to develop criteria, how to run, make, run a project or run a, or make a decision using it. I think that overall, the, the most um, important lesson that uh, I seem to learn over and over <laughs> is to, to remain connected to purpose, even when it feels obvious. Because chances are that it is not obvious to others. And I might think it's obvious and find that it wasn't actually obvious to me. <laughs> so having regular, uh, I don't know if I would call it a check-in so much, but a cadence by which I can remain connected to that purpose. So with, with the systems implementation, it can get really technical. And so choices are being made about field placement and character limits and things like this that might feel so removed from a strategic level thinking of what what are we about here yet any one of those decisions seen through the lens of that purpose become a lot clearer than making it based on a whim or i just had lunch so i'm in a relatively good mood and feel opportunistic oh yeah everyone's gonna get this great let's add all these features or i didn't get a good night's sleep and i wake up and say nobody's gonna get all these features we gotta make it really simple <laughs> like those are not um given that that's always going to come up by having that uh that purpose clear having that criteria clear mm. mm-hmm. allows allows for those roller coaster moments in your life not to derail a particular project. Mm, really good. Well, so Robin, I'm curious then, maybe instead of closing with what we learned from the conversation today, like what is a learning that you have out of your own experience with decision making that you think is a good parting insight? 
I, for me, I think it really is about the use of criteria. And I, I bang this drum often uh, as a way to get the leaders thinking explicit to help the organization see organizational priorities, right? So if your values and strategy don't show up in the key decisions that you're making, are you actually committed to them, right? And so really that criteria is a way to be communicating what matters to you um, from an organizational standpoint. And when people are saying, Saying that they don't understand the decisions. I think often it's because they have cognitive dissonance that you're making a decision that doesn't seem to align to what you have said is important to us. And as leaders, we have to keep threading that need, connecting those dots so people can really understand it. Mm. Fine. What about you? Um, I think mine would be that, and this gets to the after the post decision phase, like commit to some period of time that you're actually going to give that decision a chance. Because I do think people get shiny object syndrome and go, oh, well, this isn't going the way that I was hoping it was going to, so we should probably try something else now. (laughs) And I just don't think people give things enough of a life to really learn from the experience and see what is possible. And usually things do take a little bit of time to unfold and reveal themselves in terms of their value. So I think setting yourself up along with that decision-making moment, what are the measures by which we're going to measure, we're going to evaluate our success and whether or not this is worthwhile for us to continue investing in? And what is it, what term of time are we saying we're going to make that evaluation? So we're going to give it six months and then we'll check in again. And then against these things that we said, we were going to measure our progress by, How are we doing? What did we learn? And then decide whether or not you're going to go try something else. But don't try something else a month later (laughs) or like have somebody else try something on a different team. You know, that I think it's that's the really tough thing that people end up uh, watering down the decision just because they can't stick with it. So commitment, like you said. Well, uh, thank you so much. And if people are really interested in this, I know we could talk about it for a really long time. So just let us know if you want to hear more about decision-making and we'll bring Patrick back and we'll keep talking about it. But for today, that's all we got. Anything else you guys want to leave people with or? No, thank you both for being here and for this conversation, but always a highlight of my day. Thank you, Amarose. Thank you, Robin, both. uh, It's quite fun. Quite fun. And I'm sure it will help with all of our other client conversations we have to go have. So have a great rest of your week wherever you are in the world and we'll see you soon. Goodbye. This episode was produced by Guy Connolly. Original artwork is by Dana Buckingham and music is by a cast of characters. Special thanks to Converse's extended community who inspire the continued evolution of our work and stand with us in our commitment to change leadership, business, and the world through conversation. You can learn more about Conversant at www.conversant.com. On Connection is created and produced by the members of Conversant. Awakening the world to the power and joy of authentic human connection, we set a new standard for leadership that produces meaningful, enduring impact. Until next time.